are going to have some special music. Isabel is going to sing Jesus Look Loves Us. I can do it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little that belong, this we get here strong. Yes, it is with me, for the Bible tells me so. Now, please know that I, or not just I, but Willine and all of us, extend the invitation to all of you that if you have children and you want them to sing, so Miss Jay-Z, Miss Jay-Z, at any time you want Janet and Terry to come up and sing, you just let me know and we will make it happen, okay? Oh, it's a wonderful day today, and it's going to be a good day in the house of God. Um, you know, growing up, I always couldn't wait to hurry up and get to somewhere else. I, I couldn't hurt, wait to get through high school so that I could experience life outside of high school. I couldn't wait to get married. I couldn't wait to hurry up and have kids. And it seemed like I was never settled within my spirit. And I think a lot of that had to do because of the lack of Jesus in my life during those times. But God has a way of settling a person into a life that is pleasing and pleasant. And I think that's what I want to talk to you about today is settling where God calls us to be. Today's passage of Scripture will come from the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verses 8 through 11. It is written, How can I give you up, Ephraim? And how can I hand you over Israel? How can I treat you like Adma, and how can I make you like Zebium? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not, not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion, when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. And they will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows. From Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you and thank you for this time that you've given us to, to gather together. And Father, I just ask that during this part of the service, that you give us words of hope and inspiration words that help us to settle into the life that you have for us, into the land that you have for us, as we push forward to all the blessings that you have for us in the future. Father, I ask that you just empty me of my will and desire to speak. Fill me with your spirit, that every word that proceeds from my mouth would come from your throne. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
This is an unusual passage. I, I agree with you. It's kind of difficult. It says a lot of things. Let me tell you a little bit about the person who wrote this to start with. His name was Hosea, and he was a prophet. Now, he had a very unusual calling. So let me prepare you for that, for what his calling was. Hosea was called to marry, by God, a promiscuous woman. It's true, it says it in the very first chapter of his book, that God declared that his life would be in part lived out with a woman that would, be, that would cheat on him. And that every time she would cheat on him, that, that he would take her back, that he would love her and he would care for her, regardless of the sin that she performed against him. And it sounds like a bad thing, and it's not something that I want to go through, and I'm sure it's something that you don't want to experience yourself, but, but what God is doing here is painting a picture of his mercy and his grace. You see, Israel was not doing what they were supposed to do, as we you know, have said many, many times. Oftentimes, that's why God sends the prophets. But through the prophet Hosea, he gave them a physical manifestation of what his love looks like. That every time we sin against God, he takes us back. That every time we sin against his word or against his being or act in a state of rebellion against him, he loves us so much that he forgives and casts that memory away and takes us back. And that's what was happening with Israel during this time. And, and at this part of the passage, God kind of puts a, a, a change on things. Where he says that, how can I hand you over Israel? And how can I treat you like Adam? And how can I treat you like Zebium? Kind of what he's referring to is this. Ephraim is actually, well, when we read about Ephraim, he's actually referring to Israel, the, the northern nation. Because we said before, the nation of Israel had split to the north and south. He's saying that because of your sins and everything, but also because of my love for you, how is it that I can hand you over to destruction? Because the other two cities that were mentioned that he's comparing them to, Adma and Zebium, were two cities that got swallowed up in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is saying that my compassion has been aroused. I don't want to do that. And not only do I not want to do that to you, I'm not going to do that to you. He says that, that me being God is much different than being like man. You see, when man forgives a sin that someone put against him, most of the times that comes with a condition that if you hurt somebody and you offer them forgiveness, and, and that forgiveness is true in your heart, you're probably going to keep them at a distance. It's a wise thing to do, protect our hearts, protect our lives against the people who want to hurt us. But God doesn't forgive like that. When God forgives, he forgets. Now, we deal with the natural consequences of our sin, but we don't live with the guilt, and it's not put up in our face constantly about our mistakes. And that's what he says to Israel, is that this is how I want my relationship to be with you, that I want to, to forgive your sins, that I don't want to hold it against you, that I want you to, to prosper, to come back to me. 
and live your life remembering who it was that brought you through the wilderness. Remembering who it was that that took you by the hand even when you weren't aware that it was God Himself and led you along those treacherous roads to safety. He says to Israel, I want to do that to you again. And he gets down to that declaration that we find so much hope and comfort in. For God says, I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. And if you've ever been unsettled in your spirit, you know the discomfort that I'm talking about. The, the inability to, to sit still and enjoy the day. The inability to, to stop worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. The inability to truly give our lives over to God's will and do like Paul said, whatever happens, happens. You see, I believe that God wants us to be settled in our community and and in our homes and in our walk with him. And I think he offers that opportunity to us time and time again, but but we miss out on the part that that we have a, a personal responsibility in accepting that settlement. That God can give us the resources, He can give us the home, He can He can give us the people, He can He can give us everything we need, but but we have to make an action on our part. We have to be responsible with how we respond to God. And I think that you know what, God is such a kind and loving God that He didn't just say that that I'm going to settle you in your land and not tell us how to do it. Now, that's something that I would do. I'm, I'm bad sometimes about saying one thing and, and expecting people to just understand it and, and not giving you know, instruction on how to do so. But God is always giving instruction on how to do things. And to be settled, I think that we can look to the teachings of Christ when he spoke about the Beatitudes. Now, like me growing up, they always said the Beatitudes, we had a play on words, was that's how your attitude should be. But really and truly, coming from the Latin, Beatitude means blessedness. It means happy. You know, we've talked about happiness and joy before and the difference that, that joy is the ex- what we experience from God through the Holy Spirit that, that sustains us. It's not tied to, to emotion. But happiness is a true gift that that God gives us. And oftentimes we experience that happiness through our actions. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I always looked at that verse when I was growing up because I grew up poor. And I didn't understand anything happy about being poor. I did not. I'm telling you. I looked around and I saw what my friends had and, and the food they ate and the clothes they wore. I didn't find it to be a very happy experience wearing my cousin's hand-me-down clothes. I didn't find it to be a happy experience knowing that every Saturday night it was either going to be chicken stew or stew or chicken and rice. It never changed. But my mom and my dad and, and all my relatives aunts and uncles and grandparents, they, they all seem to embrace 
something that, that I didn't quite understand at that time. Though we were poor financially, they were not lacking in spirit. See, when we talk about being poor in spirit, we are talking about being impoverished, but not of a material need, but of a spiritual need. When we are poor in spirit, what we are saying is this, that, that we understand that, that within our hearts and within our lives that, that there is something that we need, something that this world cannot provide for us. And that condition of poverty causes us to, to search and seek and so many times in the wrong places. But for us to be poor in spirit and to be happy, we have to come to understand this. That our lives are not wrapped around pleasing family and friends, communities and businesses. That it's not about pleasing ourselves with status and material possessions. But that it is about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And understanding that then all things will be added. You see, the uh, seeking of righteousness is what we are first called to do. It causes us to, to look within ourselves and question our own motives and intents in life. Are we really and truly seeking God? Or are we truly seeking something that will fulfill some desire within our life, some lust, something that we just can't let go of? When the whole time God is saying, let go of it, because you're giving yourself a restless life. You're giving yourself nights without sleep and days without peace because you won't let go of it. It's okay, God says, because for those who are poor in spirit, you will inherit something much greater than what this world has to offer. The poor in spirit. Those who, who know that, that God is their only need and God becomes their only desire, will inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not that we have earned our salvation. Salvation comes by grace and grace alone. But it's that in our salvation experience, we die to the cross and live to God and seek the kingdom of God by seeking out the cause and understanding of Christ in our communities and in our lives. If we were to paraphrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it might look like this. Blessed are those who humbly recognize their need for God, for they will enter his kingdom. And isn't that the, the greatest reward of all? Because we as a people know that this life is coming to an end one day soon. Some sooner for others, some than it is for others. The scripture is clear. 
that it is appointed once for man to die and then there is judgment. And at that judgment, when the Christian stands before the holy God and God pleads his case against us, we as a people can stand and say that I plead the blood of Jesus. And our God closes that book and welcomes us home into his kingdom. Happy is that person who seeks after God. And that moves into the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes within my heart, within my spirit, there's a longing for something to be filled. And sometimes it's not within my heart, within my spirit. It's within my physical body. I went for a bike ride the other night, and I ran into Marjorie and, and Billy and Ronald. They were at the uh, senior sitter hanging out on the golf carts, and, and I was on lap number I don't know how many. I think I still had three miles in my 10 miles to go. And I come riding up beside them just to stop and say hi, and I began having this great thirst. My body was hot. I had, had sweated out all the water in my body. Well, close to anyways. I, I was still alive, so I didn't sweat it all out. But there was a thirst there was a desire. There was something within me that had to be filled. And I, at that moment, I would have searched anywhere to find a drink of water. Now, I was lucky. I thought in advance and put a little Gatorade up under the, the rail on my bicycle. And, and I pulled up that bottle and opened the top and drank down about half of it. And one little swallow just sitting there with them. I was thirsty. I was in need, and, and I had to seek out that thing to satisfy that thirst. And I think that when we enter a relationship with Christ, beyond the point of salvation, you see, when we hear the Spirit of God call, and He offers us that free gift of salvation, that makes Jesus the Savior of our lives. But we want to go further than that. We don't want to just have Jesus as the Savior of our lives. We want Him to, to be the Lord of our lives at the point when we, we give our life over to Him and say that, that whatever God's will is, it's okay with me. Because I hunger to understand you and experience you in ways that I've never known before. And when that hunger begins, it's, it's an unusual experience for some, I think, because maybe they've not had that encounter before. Jesus has always been around. We've known that. We've heard the name of Jesus, and there's a church on every corner. I think it's almost impossible for anyone to not know of Jesus. But when Jesus becomes the core of our life, we want to know more and experience more and understand more about him. It's like your husband or your wife or, or your best friend, that you're intrigued by their personality, that you don't understand why they do 
or don't do certain things that you're compelled to, to talk with and understand that person a little deeper and a little better. And I think that's the passion that we need to have for Jesus. I don't know how to, to stir that passion up in people. And I don't know that I can. But I, I know this from experiences, that, that when the Spirit moves in me and asks me to, to learn just that little bit, to ask me to trust just a little bit more, that it causes me to want to find out more about my Savior. And before I know it, my life has, has taken a new turn and, and I'm traveling down a new road, leaving behind the things of the old and taking hold of Christ in every moment. I need Him. And I can't live a day without Him. Because I hunger for Him. And I hunger to be more like him. Happy is that person whose life is, is surrounded by righteousness and who seeks after Christ in all things. And I'm not sure that it stops there. Because you see, in order to be happy, we have to not only experience Jesus and, and understand Jesus, but we have to take on upon ourselves some of the characteristics of God himself. And you say, I know what you talk about. I've got to live a little better. I've got to eat a little better exercise some more and, and don't listen to this movie or, or don't go over here and do that. And that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is our interaction with other people. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I love that verse because it tells me that I'm going to be shown something that, that I don't necessarily deserve if I do something. And I'm kind of confused about that verse sometimes because it says that, that if I do something, which is to be merciful, taking on the characteristics of God, that I will get something in return. And we know in life that that's not always the true case, okay? Sometimes in life we do good and it doesn't seem like we get rewarded for it. Sometimes in life we do good and maybe 30 years down the road we might get rewarded for it. It's part of, of being patient and waiting on God. But the mercy part, oh my goodness, doesn't that sound wonderful? Because I remember my salvation experience. And I remember the guilt that I felt because of the sin in my life. And I remember knowing that in the back of my mind, the punishment that I deserved for the things that I had done, 
But on that day that God called me, and I knelt my knee before him, all that guilt and all that shame was taken away. I stood in the presence of holiness, knowing that I wasn't to be condemned. God bestowed mercy, a mercy that I didn't deserve upon me, a poor sinner. And God asks us to do the same with the people in our lives. And you know, I'm going to change the word here from mercy to forgiveness. To forgive someone else is a powerful thing to do. Now you've heard it said that forgiveness isn't about the other person, it's about you so that you can let go of the anger, so that, so that you can move forward in your life, so that you can live in peace. And, and there is truth to that. But there are times when the person who has sinned against us know that they have sinned and they hold within their heart and within their mind the knowledge of that and they are in need of your forgiveness. And it's up to us whether or not we give them that forgiveness. You see, denying someone forgiveness is like this. It's like someone committing a crime against you and you take them and you put them in a cell with, with no windows and no doors and no ceiling. Well, yes, a ceiling that they can't get out of. They're trapped there. And they can't experience life with peace and happiness because you won't let them out of that cell. But if we remember sometimes, that God himself said to us as individuals, I'm not going to hold you into that cell. That I'm going to open those prison doors and let the captives free. And when those doors come open, me, you, and, and many like us, who receive Christ as our Savior, walk through that door into freedom. And God asks only that we do that to our fellow man. Not to hold them imprisoned when you have within your power to forgive. You see, we reap what we sow. Scripture is clear on that, and I know that to be true. And I know that, that when I offer forgiveness to someone, that not only do I let them free, but, but I let myself free also, that, that I get to live a life of peace and happiness because I am not holding on to anger and I am not holding on to bitterness. You see, God wants to prepare for each of us our own home. Not talking about a physical home, but, but maybe a state that, that we belong to in our own community, in our church, and, and even maybe in our physical home. And he wants us to experience peace and happiness in that home. And he offers us 
every tool available. But it is up to us to experience God, to to seek Him out, to, to humble ourselves, to be hungry for Him, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you see, I believe that if we move toward these things, no matter what happens, we will find peace and happiness in life. You see, I think that's what God wanted for Israel all the time, was for them to just be happy. I learned some time ago, and I tell the people this all the time, and I don't mean it personal. I don't do drama. And you know why I don't do drama? Because God taught me how to be happy. And I'll be glad to teach you how to be happy. But you got to act on the instruction that God gave. And when you do, you experience happiness like never before. So let me challenge you this week to become closer to God, to, to, to seek Him out. And if your thirst has been quenched, get thirsty again. And if you need to forgive someone, forgive so that you both can be happy. For this is the will of God. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you and thank you for the time that you've given us together here today. And Father, as we prepare to close the service today, let us go out of this house today knowing that, that it is your desire for us as a people to be a happy and joyous people. Help us to, to find those things in our lives that we need to set aside in order to experience that happiness. Help us to, to experience those things in life that are going to push us closer to you that's going to cause us to to desire you, to hunger and thirst after you more than we already do. And help us to continue to humble ourselves as we submit our lives to you, seeking out your will in the world that you've created for us. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for all your blessings and thank you we praise you and thank you for the music today. I wish you to see me on Facebook and thank you for the great event. Amen.